Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Well, here we are for another God Pod. We are. And uh, we will see how we get on today. And um, as always, we have a good list of questions that have been produced for us. Some great questions, aren't there? So um, people out there, please keep sending us these great questions. Exactly. That's very good. So are you feeling on form today? Uh, I reserve judgment till the end. <laughs> you never quite know, do you? No. No, no. When you start out. Some, some, sometimes it just sort of takes off, doesn't it? That's, that's true, and, and equally, sometimes <laughs> it never quite it never quite does. Yeah, but we will see. We will see in half an hour or so um, what happens to this God pod. But anyway, we've got some great questions here, and the first one I want to um, focus on is um, from someone called uh, Kevon Mattis from Trinidad in the West Indies. Oh, how lovely! Which is making us think of palm leaves. Well, I think we should do a God pod there. Yeah, okay. That would, I think that would be good. I don't remember what occasion it was, but I do remember some occasion where I was up front taking, saying something very serious and you and Mike were doing a hula dance behind me. <laughs> and, I, oh, and I could see there was something happening, just looking yeah. at the audience. And then we I looked around this and... Now. <laughs> we really should have sort of sound effects and sort of waves crashing across beaches at this point. I don't think we, we would dare do a hula dance <laughs> yeah. in, in places where they do that, such things. Yeah. Probably better. No. It was Mike's grass skirt that put everybody off on that occasion, but there we go. Anyway, um, the question is, is a question about theology and sanctification. And so the question is this, um, Scripture speaks about salvation as something grand and life-altering, new creation, regeneration, the power of God to salvation and so on. It also speaks about the transformation of desire, that um, we will be zealous for good deeds and I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they, they will be my people. So given all of that, why is there still so much of a struggle to be holy? Given that that's what salvation is meant to do, it's meant to change our desires, change our hearts, and um, uh, make us zealous for good deeds. Why are we not always very zealous for good deeds? And the follow-up question is, uh, why, what, what purpose might there be in God delaying the complete eradication of sin in the redeemed. If the purpose is that um, sin is got rid of, why doesn't he just do it like that? When there are constitutional questions and people have a referendum, uh, so on the Brexit thing and on Scottish independence and that sort of thing, I always think it would be better to have two uh, votes five years apart there's always a danger that you just get a particular moment in time when there's a particular mood in the country and it's voted on in a particular way. Uh, it might not be what they would think, the country would think five years later, ten years later. Uh, and if you built in a little bit of kind of distance between the two things, you'd get a, a better uh, snapshot of, of what people actually think, what the nation actually wants. And that's why I think God takes time to make sure that it's not just a whim at one particular moment to say, yes, I want to be, I want to go your way and I want to be made perfect. 
Um, he wants to check that it is our will, it's the overall direction and drive of our lives. And therefore he does, as we trust him a bit, he changes us a bit. As we trust him more, he changes us more. It's a, it's a slow process, but the advantage of that is, it is that which we have chosen as the overall theme and direction of our lives. So there's a movement and trajectory rather than a static point. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And therefore it is actually what we have chosen, not just me when I was age whatever, mm -hmm. but me from the age of whatever to mm. whatever plus 50. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose the question can, I'm not saying it, 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 it does, but it can sort of presuppose that what God's interested in is only the end product. Mm. Whereas, uh, in which case it was a bit dim of God to make us people who grow and change. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we are people who grow and change suggests that that might be in itself quite interesting to God. Um, and that therefore, what God is as interested in the ongoing relationship as in the final point. We, we long to get to a point, or we think we do, um, where everything's finished. I don't know that we actually do want to get to that point. We ourselves are quite interested in the, in the journey, in the narrative, in the ongoing. Um, relationship and I think it's the same with God. God is um, not <coughs> sitting there thinking they, hasn't, they haven't made the goal yet you know it's, it's five minutes late kind of, God is interested in us um, and that's the point I mean that God is a relational God the point of the whole of creation is relationship with God and with each other not reaching some goal. Yeah yeah no, no I like that I mean I I think it's a, it's a point that's um, <laughs> <laughs> well done, Joe. <laughs> right there's, there's probably about a cover. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a point Calvin makes at one point. You know, the, the the goal of Christianity, the whole point of it, is n is not actually moral rectitude or you know right decisions or or virtue and so on. It's 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 actually communion with God. Yeah. It's actually fellowship with God. That's the goal, and everything else comes out of yeah, that. So exactly. moral rectitude, virtue. A good life comes out of our fundamental fellowship, communion with God, which is actually incidentally why for him the Holy Communion was so central, why actually a kind of, you know, um, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion, whatever you call it, is such a central aspect of Christian mm -hmm. life because, because it is, you know, that place where we do experience and know that Holy Communion. Um, and, and do it together with one another. Exactly, that's right. Yeah, communion. holy communion with God and with, with one another yeah. at, at that moment. Yeah. But I suppose if if we think of it in those terms, it slightly gets us away from this. Um, uh, as far as we know, relationships, every relationship I've ever known, takes time. Mm. You know, you can create a a robot at a particular moment that responds in exactly the same way, but it's not quite the same as a relationship that's built up over time. And I guess we, you know, we all know of you know, marriages or friendships over a long, long period of time that have developed a sort of maturity, a sort of sense of knowing one another mm. at a far deeper level than you ever do when you've just met someone. Mm. And so it's very hard to conceive of a relationship that doesn't take time to mature, mm. doesn't take time to... And that isn't... I mean, if it's a good relationship, it's good at every point in time, mm. isn't it? It's not, yeah. OK, that was the perfect moment, and either we haven't quite got there or we, or we missed it or... Yeah. Um, it, as one's children grow, every mm. stage they reach is the perfect stage. Yeah. You yeah. think, oh, I wish they never had to change. Then they change. You think, oh, yeah. that's great. Mm. And that There's something delightful about yeah. that, isn't yeah. it? Seeing that growth yeah. over, over a period of time. 
Like, I suppose it's also related to, you know, you ask, I'd also ask, why did God create time? Because mm. time is a created mm -hmm. thing. Um, presumably he could not have done, he could have just created a, a sort of final state with no time in it. Yeah. But he did create space and time. And presumably there's a reason for that, because it's, it takes time to build communion, mm. to build the kind of relationship with God that he wants with us and his, his creation. And maybe that's why he built, he made time in the first place, precisely for that very reason. Um, because God himself is outside of that and, and, um, and so on. So, so I suppose in terms of that, that second question, you know, why does it take so long? You can kind of see why that's the case. Let me get back to the first question a bit. Um, why is it still so much of a struggle to be holy? Why, why, if, if salvation is about the transformation of desire, all these promises and so on, why, why is it still such hard work? Uh, I know it isn't for you, Mike. No, no, no. Well, I do. I do struggle very much. Uh, enough, in fact. Um, I think, A, because it is often against what appears to be our immediate best interests. Mm. Uh, so it's costly. Mm. And secondly, I think because it's opposed. Mm. And, and it being... Holiness, holiness and growth into holiness. maturity. Uh, so it, it's mm. counterintuitive, you know, selfishness has become our second nature. So mm. holiness goes against that at yeah. every turn. Yeah. It's mm. always, therefore, uh, a battle back to our first nature. Mm. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, the Christian tradition strongly suggests that it's, it's not an unopposed process, mm. Uh, mm. that there are forces mm. that would seek to prevent it yeah. mm. um, and stop it and you only have to read the Screwtape Letters to get a sense of that. Mm. Yeah, because I guess in, in Christian understandings of growth and progress, there's, there's always two things going on, isn't there? Because there's the, the proper created growing into maturity, mm. which, you know, um, like, like a child is born and a baby is a perfect baby, but still has to grow into adulthood. And that's that was always meant to be the case. The world was meant to mature and grow, which is why it seems to me the, the, the creation story is depicted as taking seven days. It doesn't just happen like that mm -hmm. in, in a moment. It takes time for creation to build up towards the creation of humanity at the end of that process and so on. Um, so that sense that, you know, that, that there is a, um, you know, that there's a, there's a natural maturing that takes place, but alongside that, there's also the, the kind of the, the healing of sinfulness and fallenness and brokenness, which also has to take place. Mm. So the quite natural growing into maturity that I feel like would have happened if the fall had not taken place is now complicated by the fact that you've got both of these things happening at the same time, mm. um, which makes it quite complicated in mm. a way and try to discern which bit is the healing of the brokenness and which bit is the growing into maturity. But both of those take time. But I do think it, I mean, I think those are, <coughs> Those, those are the important points, but I, I still want to sort of maintain this idea that holiness isn't something static. Mm -hmm. um, it isn't an arrived at state mm. and we know when we've got there. I find it fascinating that um, Luke says that Jesus grew in stature and in favour with God and with human beings. Mm. Jesus, mm. Um, so matured in his holiness, presumably mm. was holy all the way through, but mm. um, uh, and, uh, and I think this sense of um, that holiness is, is an arrived at static state is deeply undermining to Christian mm. discipleship, mm. actually. Mm. Um, uh, and the sense that, um, I mean, 
on the whole, holy people aren't people that you think of, they're perfect. Because mm. that puts you off, doesn't yeah. it? They're well, people just to te- tease that out a bit. I mean, if we think of Jesus as the, the Son of God, the Logos incarnate, presumably from the moment of his birth, mm. he is born as the, you know, the, the divine Son. How does that work with a growth in holiness? At the same time, because he doesn't become more divine as time goes on, does he? He doesn't sort of grow in his divine identity. Um, but how does that work together? No, think? but actually, as a growing human being, his capacities are expanding. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So he's actually having an expanded capacity mm. for everything, not least of which yep. holiness. Yep. Or not that you could probably keep holiness in a separate category no. from everything else, but uh, there's a capacity growth yep. going on, I think. I find, again, I find it really interesting how much time God wastes. I mean, the, all those years Jesus was growing up that we know nothing about. Mm-hmm. That doesn't yes. seem a sensible use of time unless, yep. this, um, unless it's actually fine to invest in sure. time. Yeah. It's fine to mm-hmm. take time. Yes. Yeah. And even the finished state, uh, uh, which you rightly warn us mm. about, um, <laughs> You know, the resurrected body of Jesus still bears the mark of the yeah. nails. It's not as if that which goes before is unimportant. No. It still has a lasting place and presence in, yeah. in, in the finished state. I suppose just thinking about that question, how can Jesus be the divine son of God yet grow in holiness? If you think of holiness as maturity and growing into that. Mm. Um, if you think of a child, I and mean, I think of my son, Sam, when he was born as a baby, he was my son. He's still my son. There's no difference between him as a baby and him as he is now. 30 years later, he's still my, my son and, and has been every, every single moment. But he is now more mature than he was when he was a, mm-hmm. he was a baby. Mm. And so you can kind of see in our relationships how identity can be the same, but actually maturity and growth can happen mm-hmm. at the same time. So maybe it's like that, that actually that Jesus' divine sonship is exactly the same at the moment of his birth all the way through, or to the <coughs> conception all the way through. But yet he grows into into that holiness that um, we can imagine as well. And there's a holiness and perfection that's appropriate for a particular stage yeah. of development. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, going back to your point, Jane, about there isn't a kind of finished state. I think it's Gregory of Nyssa, Gregory of Nyssa who, who writes about how, you know, if you like, there's, there's never any end to our discovery of God. Hmm. Evenly implies in heaven itself. Yeah. There's an ongoing, it's not a static place where you sort of sit on a cloud and think, oh, what do I do now? Wish I bought a magazine, you know. <laughs> Halo magazine. Ah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's a, an endless discovery yeah. of the, the depths of the love of God that, that carries on eternally because you can never get to the bottom of it and think, okay, I've, I've done God now. Exactly. Yes. You can never get to the end of God's possibilities, yeah. can you? Exactly. Even, when, yeah. even in heaven. Yeah. yeah. And that's why heaven is not going to be boring, is it? No, exactly. Because it's an inexhaustible yeah. exploration. Yeah. Good. Place bit, on. bit like Godpodry. Right. <laughs> 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 Don't put people off. Um, I, I, to go back to the idea of the, the time and, and uh, the process of sanctification taking time, right? if, it, if that weren't the case, it would be like a game of kind of snakes and ladders, wouldn't it? Or, or the snake and ladder. So there's... Mm. there's you, Get on the you land on the thing that has the ladder. It goes up to the end. That's it. You're done. Yeah. All the other mm. squares would be relatively unimportant. 
Um, whereas actually, this is a way of saying each square is important. Mm. Each square is a place of exploration mm. and a place of mm. engagement and a place of mm. submission and a place of... Which is why um, Christian discipleship puts so much emphasis on practising the presence of God in each moment. Yes. Mm. At each moment, in each action, it's possible to... Mm. I mean, God is fully present with us. Are we fully present with God? Mm. Rather than constantly looking ahead, which is what we tend to do, don't we? Mm. Always... Mm. Yes. wanting what's not quite there. Yeah. 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 And therefore missing the present yeah. moment or in danger of doing so. Yeah. Yeah. That's really why, as I've been thinking about how, you know, when Jesus talks in John chapter 10 about, you know, I've come that they may have life in all its fullness. What does that, what does that mean? What does life in all its fullness mean? And, you know, when we think of it, we think of, you know, I know wonderful holidays or, you know, exciting experiences and whatever. But if you like, all, with all of those things, you can kind of get to the bottom of it. Mm. You can kind of get bored with it eventually. But God is the only, the only thing you can never get bored of. Mm. The only inexhaustible exactly, reality. Yeah. Everything yep. else you ultimately get bored with mm. and it runs out. Mm. And um, which is why actually life in all its fullness actually it has to be life in, in communion with God. Which is why somebody like, for example, Julian of Norwich sitting in her little cell, yep. uh, never moving out, um, spending the whole of her life walled in, um, had life in all its fullness, yeah. she seemed to think. Yeah. Because Even though everyone else would yeah. look at that and think, what a boring life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, And how much she's sacrificed and, you know, why is she yeah. doing that to herself? Um, mm. Because she had so much going on in her relationship with God yeah. that she didn't really want to go anywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Good. Fascinating question. Thank you very much um, for, uh, for that one, Anne Kavorn. So, uh, a related one to go on to. It's on from um, uh, Charles Schofield from uh, Cumbria. So we're a bit closer to home. The lovely Cumbria. The lovely Cumbria. Um, the Lake District Mountains and everything else. And uh, this is um, uh, who says, I'm another of those poor suckers to whom you have been told to get a life. I've listened to all the God pods <laughs> and some more than once. And they convey to me how eminently sane and reasonable the Christian faith is. Much needed tonic in these days of scepticism and worse. Very good. There you go. Anyway, so um, he says this, I've now reached my three score years and ten and thinking increasingly the end times and would like to believe in the new Jerusalem of Revelation or the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians. My problem is this, I find such a belief difficult in the face of modern scientific knowledge of how things work. For example, the cosmology which depicts a universe gradually dying from entropy and a biological medical viewpoint which charts the total dissolution at death of the human body. Should I just accept that science is science and theology is theology and never the twain shall meet? course which is deeply dissatisfying or is there a, some sort of coming together of such seemingly incompatible worldviews? so I guess it's related a little bit to that question of <coughs> development direction and so on but how do we fit together the kind of biblical idea of the the new Jerusalem the last trumpet what will happen at the end with a sort of scientific explanation of the world that seems to depict a world that is just gradually unraveling and going into nothingness C.S. Lewis um makes a, a related, answers a kind of related question, I think, uh, rather helpfully, when he talks about how people often say, of course, in the old days, they believed in things like miracles and resurrections, um, and now we mm. know better mm. scientifically. And he said, actually, science is irrelevant to it. They knew perfectly well in mm. those days that dead bodies don't come back to life mm. again. Mm. Uh, that <laughs> You don't need science to tell you mm. that. Mm. Um, and you know, so what was needed was a, a, a power beyond mm. 
the natural beyond the universe mm. if if something is mm. going to happen to this dead body mm. it's the same argument really about the cosmos as a whole mm. actually it's not dead but even if it's dying mm. it's going to take something from outside itself mm. Mm. Uh, to bring life to it to revitalize it to heal it to restore it um, that was always the case with or without science. Um, so I'm not sure that there's a real conflict with science here. I, I, I believe what the scientists tell me, that left to its own devices, it will run out of energy and perhaps collapse back into each other or is, itself into a singularity or um, disperse into incoherence and chaos. That doesn't, my, my faith in the, re the new yeah. creation does not depend upon yeah. the inner reserves and resources of, the, of the, the universe. It relies on a force and a person beyond that. And if you only have nature, if you only have what we see, that is the inevitable result of yes. it. And you can kind of see the logic yes. of that. Yes. Um, but I guess Christian faith says that is not the whole story. Yes. There's something else going on. So the Bible doesn't the say there's a sort of natural evolution from this world to the kingdom of God. Yep. from yep. Uh, to the New Jerusalem. We just hang about long enough, we will get that. That's not what it says at all. Mm. It does talk about divine intervention, mm. talk about... The New Jerusalem coming yeah. down from heaven. But, yeah. Yes. Which, um, uh, and then I suppose the other thing is that, that people have then read that to mean that it therefore doesn't matter what we do to this world. Mm. Um, and that, again, is not a, a good connection, is it? Because mm. this world is the one it, um, that enables us uh, to... to to, d to be prepared for living in the, mm. the world that God, mm. uh, that God makes. Caring for this world is part of what uh, enables yeah. us mm. to inhabit um, the new mm. creation. Mm. Yes. Yeah, no, it does talk about a, a new heavens and a new earth, doesn't it? Emphasis upon that, that newness, mm -hmm. which in some ways... It's not the old one rehashed. Yeah, it sort of takes you beyond, <coughs> what's beyond imagination, which yeah. is why it seems you almost need you know, you need sort of poets and novelists and artists to, to kind of envisage this rather than sort of literal. Um, but scientists, I mean, valuable as scientists are, that's wonderful, that's great, we, we need scientists, but you also need poets and artists mm -hmm. and so on to, to, to go beyond what you can examine and, and uh, predict. Um, because prediction would tell you one thing, um, faith tells you another. So, you know, no one would ever predict the resurrection on the basis mm -hmm. of previous trends. Yep. You know, the trends always say that dead men do not rise. Resurrection is in a different category from that. Um, and I suppose you get images of that in the New Testament as well, don't you? There's St. Paul's um, reflection on it in 1 Corinthians 15, where he has all these different images of, of how actually you can, we can envisage something new and different coming out of something old. So his classic example is the, the um, seed. Yeah, the seed or the bulb which is planted in the ground and apparently just seems to decay and begins to die and you see nothing more of it and you think if you were to see it you just see it gradually fading and suddenly out of out of that bulb comes this little green shoot and before you know where you are you've got a, a daffodil or a tulip or whatever and the daffodil and the tulip look entirely different from the, the bulb that was planted and you think how on earth does that relate to this mm -hmm. but actually they do you know, out of the dying seed has come this amazingly beautiful flower they look entirely different but they are continuous with one another and because that happens every year, we don't think of that as miraculous. Yeah, that's right. And mm -hmm. and don't see that the the sort of the, the pattern of of the action of God that can bring yeah. something yeah. Mm. out of 
death into that's right and i think what paul is saying is that <coughs> that's a kind of picture of what yeah. of the new creation that what seems to be dying actually then mysteriously comes something out of it not entirely separate from it replacing the old but sort of somehow continuous with mm. the old but actually looking very different and so we in a way that we can't quite imagine um and i suppose the other contrast is the kind of the, the body of jesus that was mm-hmm. killed on the cross and laid in the tomb and then the this new body that emerges from that and that Mary cannot recognize and the two on the road to Emmaus don't recognize either until their eyes are opened and then they see it so there's a kind of continuity and a discontinuity but it is it is the the, the, the dead body so you don't find a body in the tomb that body has now been trans- transformed into something else mm-hmm. so it's not that it's been replaced so you've still got the dead, the dead body and then a new thing you've got the old body is now transformed into something new um, and that seems to be the dynamic that's going on there. Which doesn't then hang about, does it? So that the, yeah. the renewed body of, physical body of Jesus is not hanging about in this yeah. space and time. Yeah. Um, it's in the place where God dwells, yeah. the right hand of, mm. of the Father. Yeah. Um, and, and therefore we know there's that connection um, that's our sort of picture of what happens mm. between the old earth and the, and the new earth. Mm. Um, there is a, a recognisable ongoing story, yeah. but also a real difference. Mm. And I, I think it's also important to say that <coughs> this dependence upon an outside mm. personal creative energy mm. for any future is not a, opposed to science. Yeah. It goes beyond what science can observe or mm. predict. But, but it doesn't go against it yeah. because uh, science is a study of this world in, in, yeah. in all its yeah. di- different dimensions. Um, whether there is anything beyond that is beyond the, the methodologies of science to, to speak about. Yeah, which is why I think it's I mean, Alistair McGrath, who I think has been one, one of our God's positive four, talks about science and theology being mutually enriching perspectives. Yeah. Um, they're not identical to each other, occupying the same space, trying to describe the same things. Neither are they entirely separate, uh, contradictory, and in somehow some conflict with each other, but they are, you know, you need both of them to understand the world. Mm. Yes. You need both of them to understand reality. You need both the perception of scientists that left on its own, this world will gradually unravel unravel and and, and disappear into, into nothing. But you also need the perception of theology that tells you that there's something else going on within this world, mm-hmm. um, which is the power of resurrection, that you can see examples of in things like bulbs and everything else. Yes. And so um, and that gives you an example of how you know, theology and science can enrich one another by giving a more total picture of reality mm-hmm. than any, either can do on its own. Mm-hmm. And that is simply... A something that one knows in one's own experience as one gets older. Mm-hmm. You know, one's energies wind down. Yep. It's not surpri- it doesn't surprise me to hear that the universe is doing the same kind of thing. Mm. You find the experience. Are you finding this, momentarily. But it's a standard human experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you go to your doctor and they say, oh, well, you know, what can you expect at your age? Yeah. Um, but one is not dep- not looking for one's own mm. resources mm. to mm. renew one and, and, and give mm. one mm. a hope and a future. Um, one's looking outside of that. Yeah. Paul writes about that quite a bit, doesn't he? He writes about the end of the body fading, but then being yes. renewed from one degree of glory to another, mm. which is not 
sort of physically, but in some ways there's two things going on at the same time. There's the decay of the body, but there's the renewal of the, of the spirit. The inward person, yes. Uh, the inner person, yep. if you like, at the same time, so yeah. Yep. Fascinating, mm. really interesting. Thank you, Charles, very much for your question. Um, I think that's probably about enough for today. I think they've suffered enough. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> thank so, um, um, thank you, Michael. Thank you, thank you very, very much. much. Thanks, Graham. Um, hope, um, well, I've, I've enjoyed this God pod. I don't know about you. I've done about the uh, listeners or watchers. I'm friends. sure they'll tell us. They will indeed. But okay. we do basically do it for ourselves, don't we? That's how it started. That's how it'll end. Very good. was GodPod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.